to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. First Corinthians chapter 7. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except for consent or with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. What Paul's saying there, he's saying, this isn't the Lord commanding you to abstain from one another. He's not saying you have to. He's just saying, and what I'm saying is that if you do come apart from one another for a season of praying and fasting, don't do it too long, come back together again. That's what he's saying. I'm saying it as a concession, not as a commandment. You don't have to do it, but if you do, make sure you do come back. For I wish, he says, verse 7, that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Father, we come before you today, and I know that this is a very... um, energized passage. It's a passage that uh, is necessary for the church. It's a highly charged passage where the world outside and even some within the church would like to change what it says in order to adapt to the way that they desire to live instead of the way that you desire to live. Lord, let that never be our our modus operandi, our normal process that we come up with the way that we want to live and then make your word fit our life. But may we also always see your word, pray God that you would make any changes that must be made in our life to bring our lives in line with what your word says so that we may live our lives pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord. That not only goes for our own personal lives, but also for our marriages, for our jobs, for our kids, for every aspect of our life. May we come in line with what your word says. Teach us this day, O Lord, Take me out of the way that you would be seen. Lord, we didn't come here to hear me. We didn't come here to hear a a failed man or a, a weak man, a sinful man. We came here to hear you, to hear your word. And so, Lord, 
I pray, God, that you speak through me today and you touch our hearts. I know that there's some touchy things that we're going to talk about here today. But help us, Lord, to receive them with a spirit of humility that says, Lord, if there are changes that must happen in me, then God, make the changes no matter how hard it is. Make the changes, Lord, for I want to want you more as we have just prayed, as we just have heard A.W. Uh, Tozer pray. I want to want you more, Lord. I want to be more in line with what it is that you desire in my life. I don't want to walk away or wander away. I want to live the life that you've called me to live. May I pursue you, Lord, in every facet of my life, whether it be in my singlehood or whether it be in my married life. Oh, Lord, may I pursue you in the manner in which you have dictated in your scripture and revealed in your scripture that I might follow you all the rest of the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. You remember me talking about this a few weeks ago, and that is... uh, 1 Corinthians is actually a uh, is actually 2 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is actually 3 Corinthians because there is another letter that Paul has written to them that we just don't have our hands on. And so what we see here today in chapter 7 is the opening of chapter 7 is that they the church that was in Corinth actually had written Paul a letter for him to clarify some certain matters. Now, you remember, as we have talked about in Corinth, it was a very debaucherous place. It was much like the United States of America today. I don't want to just tear down on our country. I love our country. But you know what? We are digressing away from God and we are progressing more towards humanistic mind. A humanistic mind would say, what feels good, do it. Whatever I want and whatever makes me feel good, I will do it. And it's the mantra that we are seeing our nation run down the road of. And it's, it's quite frightening when you look at our nation and the way we're going. But I remember looking at 1 Corinthians and hearing messages many, many, many years ago. And I say many, many years ago because I used to be young. I'm starting to get older. But back when I was young, I remember hearing 1 Corinthians. This 1 Corinthians 7 passage. I heard about about not just 1 Corinthians 7, but all of 1 Corinthians. and, and, And a pastor's description of Corinth. And I used to say, man, there's no way that our... That, that, that any nation upon the face of the earth, any city upon the face of the earth would actually live like that back when I was young. And now as we look at Corinth and we, we, I begin to describe and I, I, I lay out, here's what Corinth is. We go, okay, so what's the deal? Okay, what's the big deal, Pastor Don? We're living in it today. And yet, it's a pretty ugly picture. The thing is, is that the church that God had grounded there, had established there in the city of Corinth, they were growing. God loved them tremendously. But they had grown accustomed to, they had been raised in, they had been birthed in a culture and a society that said basically anything goes. And they, they embraced it because that's what they did in Corinth. 
That's what they did. And so it's a debaucherous life that they were born into. It's a debaucherous life that they were raised up in. And, and they, they were having a hard time going, okay, now that we're Christians, you're saying that how it is that we grew up is, is wrong? I don't understand. Can you clarify some of these things, Paul? Are you saying that once I become a Christian, I'm not to have sexual relationships with my wife? I'm, I'm not supposed to do that? Are you saying that we are supposed to? Are you saying that we should actually get divorced so that we can be single? Or what are you saying, Paul? Would you please write to us? These are the things that Paul is going to talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're not going to get all to all of those today, but we're going to look at, look at one of those things. A little bit more into about one and a half of those things. Paul is being written this letter from the church in Corinth going, okay, here's Corinth is saying, and you've got to give it to them. Sometimes we look at Corinth and we see, you know, we read through 1 Corinthians and, and we go, wow, what a horrible place. I mean, come on, are you guys really Christians? Come on, wake up, do the right thing. But there is that other element that you have to look and you've got to say, wait a minute, you actually wrote a letter to Paul asking him, hey, would you clarify for us what it is that the Lord wants us to do and how it is that we're to be operating in our marriages or as a single person? For the reason being, why would they write Paul that unless they wanted to live for the Lord? And it's hard to come out of habit and what you have been brought up in, tradition, isn't it? We all do. We all do. We've all been brought up in, a, in, in tradition. Maybe you were bought, brought up you know, apart from Christ. You didn't have a relationship with the Lord. When you came to the Lord... All of a sudden, something changes. Something changes. There's, a, there's now a battle going on. You know, maybe, maybe and I, I just use this as a for instance, it's just one that popped into my head. You know, maybe you grew up with, you know, your, you know, you grew up, let's say Christmas. You grew up understanding, you know, Christmas to be, hey, it's a time of gifts, it's a time for family, it's a time for just celebration, it's a time for everybody coming together, and so there's what we do, and every Christmas Eve we have this phenomenal party at the house where we invite so many people and we have this unbelievable time. And then you come to Christ and you go, wait a minute, there's a Christmas Eve service at church? Wow, I'd really like to be there. And the rest of the family goes, hey, wait a minute, what about our place? This is what we've done our whole life. Don't, don't blow it. I can come back, and you now are betwixt between the two. I like that word, don't you? Betwixt. I'm betwixt between the two. I want to go to service and, and be a part of Christmas Eve candlelight service, but I also, I love my family too, and I want to be with them. And so you have this, this crossroad that you have to pass, and, and you have got to come to the decision. Am I saying you have to be here on Christmas Eve? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you have to be here for then. I'm saying that that's a, a battle that goes on in your own heart, in your mind. I, go and be with your family. I have no problem with that. But maybe the Lord wants you here. Maybe you want to be here. Maybe you want to be, not just here, but maybe you want to be at a church. And you want to go there and you want to, go, you want to celebrate. Not that we have to. Not that we have to celebrate Christmas. That's not dictated in the Word. We do it simply because we desire to. It's a time where we can reflect on God entering into the world in the form of a baby. God putting on human flesh. 
in the form of a humble baby and growing and living amongst mankind in order to go to a cross and die for the sake of sinful man. We celebrate that. We celebrate Easter, his death and his resurrection. We celebrate those days, but maybe you were brought up in that tradition that said, well, we never did that. And when you became a Christian, something had to change. And now it might be you writing me a letter going, hey, here, Pastor Don, we've always done this thing where we've gotten together as a family. And, and well, I don't know. Does God require me to be there on a, on a, on a, a Christmas Eve service? Is that where I have to be? And what kind of a response you would get from me is absolutely not. God doesn't require you to be here for Christmas Eve service. Pray and ask the Lord if he wants you here, if he wants you there with your family. Maybe the Lord would have you come here and then, and then you know, be with your family after the service. Or maybe the Lord just says, be with your family and be a light. Minister to them. You understand what this day is all about. You understand what it's about. Go and be with your family. That's okay. There's no dictate that says you have to be here for a Christmas Eve service. Well, here's what Paul's doing. Paul's writing a letter like that. They're going, I want to follow the Lord and I don't want to do something wrong. What are we doing wrong? Paul, can you clarify? And Paul says, listen, never, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Are you saying that? And what that means is not to touch a woman in a, uh, a promiscuous way. Okay, in a promiscuous way. And, and so Paul says, don't touch a woman who is not your wife in a promiscuous way. Stay away from that. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. And if, if that, because that, that touching in a promiscuous way can actually turn into sexual immorality. He says, nevertheless, verse 2, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. He's saying, instead of becoming, you know, sinfully promiscuous, marry the woman that God has brought to you. Marry the man that God has brought to you, women. And now, Enjoy each other in the, in the bounds and, and the, 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 uh, the glory of marriage that God instituted. God instituted marriage in Adam and Eve. God instituted, you know, sex. He in- instituted these things. It's not that they're bad. They're just bad if you're operating in an unfamiliar ground where you have no right to be with that other person. They're not your husband. They're not your wife. That's bad. That's sin. That's sin. Oh, but our culture says it's okay. If you love each other, you can sleep with each other. I'm sorry that our culture didn't die for us on the cross. I'm sorry, but our culture didn't create the heavens and the earth and lay out a word of God for us to follow. I'm sorry that our culture didn't do that. Well, actually, I'm not sorry. I'm glad that it didn't. The thing is, what does God say? That should always be our moniker. That should always be what drives us on, gang. What does God say? What does the Word of God say? What is it that, how is it that I should live? Paul says, knowing these things about Christ, what manner of men or women ought we to be? If we know these things about the Word of God, if we understand these things about God and Jesus and what Jesus has done for us and for mankind, if we understand that, we understand that He has given us a command to go out into all the world. Bob and Lucille are doing it in a distribution center. They're being a part of Operation Christmas Child. They're reaching out to the 
all the nations, so many nations of the world, over 11 million people getting a gift, and yet over 77 million being impacted. They're being, they're going into the world. You don't always have to go to the world. You can oftentimes be in a certain location in order to reach the world also. When I was at the Bible college teaching as a Bible teacher out at Calvary Chapel Bible College in California, I got the opportunity and I thought, when I got in the pulpit, I was, I was excited because I'm going, this is really kind of cool. Because I had people in my class from Russia, from China, from Korea, from Iran, Iraq, Germany. I had people from all over the world in my class. They were listening to me. I don't know how well, but they, they were listening to me. They were learning. And I was reaching the world. I was reaching, I was touching parts of the world. Now they were Christians, most of them were Christians. And you go, well, most of them in a Bible college? That's a whole other subject, yeah. Just because you go to Bible college doesn't mean you're a Christian. Believe me. (laughs) Okay? But here's the thing. The Great Commission is to go into the world. The Great Commission is to, or the the idea is is that we are we, we are following what the Word of God says. We allow the Word of God to tell us the direction of our lives. And so what Paul says is, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his wife and let each woman have her own husband. He's saying, don't do what the world says. The world says it's okay if you sleep because you say you love each other. Are you married to that person? Are you bound to that person for the rest of your life or not? If you're not, you need to stay away from those feelings. Oh, but I remember she's actually even a Christian. She wrote a song many, many years ago. It was always disturbing to me as a Christian. Back, back when I was young as a Christian, this is going to really, really date me. How many of you guys remember Debbie Boone? Yeah. Every old person in here. Here's the thing. If you know Debbie Boone, you're getting there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Here's the thing. You remember, the, what's the song that she sang? You light up my life. You bring me hope to carry on. She had this she had this one statement in her song that I thought, "What? It can't be wrong when it feels so right. Cuz you you light up my life." I'm going, "Wow, isn't that satanic?" Isn't that just debaucherous? That's what we're living in. And, you know, I I believe she was a Christian. She was a Christian. I I don't know much about her anymore, but that was a bothersome song to me. It can be wrong if it feels so right. There's a lot of us in this room that have regret because it felt so right until everything was over and you're going, what an idiot. What an idiot. What did I do? What have I done? And there's a lot of broken homes because of that. Here's the thing. Paul says, apart from your wife, apart from your husband, you have no business entering into any kind of relations. Don't touch a woman. Don't touch a man. Unless he's your wife or he is your husband. 
Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise also the wife to her husband. The word render in the Greek is ophelo, ophelo. It literally means to owe or to be indebted. And so here's what Paul's saying. Let the husband render to his wife and let the likewise also the wife to her husband. And so he's saying something to the husband that he's also saying to the wife. You get that right there in that verse, right? Husband, render to the wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to the husband. So who is not included in that in a, in a marriage relationship? They're both included, right? The word render literally means to owe or to be indebted to. The idea is that you have borrowed and you are indebted to repay. Okay? That's the idea. You get a loan at the bank and you are to render ophelo to the bank that which is due to the bank. In much the same way, the day that you stood before your honey bunch and you pledged your commitment to them until death do us part, you did the same thing. You rendered unto them an affection. You rendered unto them your life. You rendered unto them a commitment. Do you remember the part when you repeated your vows? If you're married here, and I know if you're single here and you're going, oh, great, here's a great message for me. I'm single. What am I doing here? Well, here's the thing. Stick with me because here's the thing. If you're single, you may be married one day. You better pay attention. You better pay attention to what I'm saying. But there's going to be also, I'm going to talk about here in just a couple of minutes, you know, that Paul was single at this time. He said it right there. He says um, in verse 7, For I wish that all men were even as I myself. And he's using men in a generic term. I wish that all men and women were even as I am. But each one has his own gift from that, uh, from, from God, one in this manner and another in that. Why is he saying it would be better for you to be like me? As a single person, I'm just going to hit this real quick so that singles think, don't think, hey man, we're being left out. You're not being left out. Paul's saying, do you know the blessing it is to be single? You don't have much of the restraints that come upon a married couple. Now, I'm really treading lightly here. Here's the thing. When I was single, I didn't have to call anybody and tell them what time I was coming home. When I was single, if I wanted to just jump in an airplane with a couple of buds and take off for the weekend and go up north, I didn't have to confer with anybody. I just did it. When I was single, I I didn't really have to confer with anybody and, and consider all of this other stuff that my family requires of me before I, say, purchase the car. I had to consider, you know, how it would affect me and and what have you, but I only had me to consider and the Lord. But here's the thing. If there was a need, you know, hey, I can be there. If there was a time, you remember when you were single? (laughs) Some of you guys, you remember that, you know, 10 o'clock at night, was the night was just beginning get married 10 o'clock is it's shutting down it's shutting down 9 o'clock amen here's the thing 
you know, at one or two o'clock in the morning, you're going, hey, things are just getting going. And here's the thing, as a single person, you just didn't really have a whole lot of things that were binding you, or, or not binding you, but holding you holding you back from doing the things that you wanted to do. Now, here's the thing. Being married doesn't hold me back. It just, it just, life is different. When I do something, I have to consider my wife. I've learned that over the years. I was, you know, I, I still acted single sometimes with my wife, and I, she helped me to learn not to do that. <laughs> because here's the thing, and I, I'm, I'm honest with this, here's the thing. Sometimes I wouldn't call her, and, and I'd come home late. And this is before we had cell phones and, and, and beepers. And so I'd show up. Hey, honey, how you doing? You'd give a kiss to a very cold face. And you look in those eyes and you go, what happened? What's the matter? What, did, you, did something happen to you today? When in all actuality, you are the brunt of the reason. You're the reason for her, you know, upsetness because you didn't call. And her heart was just, I love you. I didn't know if you were on the side of a road. You know, when I was single, nobody cared. Now I've got somebody who cares. If I'm dead on the side of the road. If I'm injured. If I'm stuck somewhere. She cares. And so there was a radical paradigm shift in my life. I had to stop being single. And if you're married, you've all gone through that paradigm shift in your own way, haven't you? We all have done that. But as a single person, you don't have to do that. You just do whatever you want. Paul says it's a blessing to be single because you know what? If there's a need to go and minister to somebody, you don't have to confer with anybody. You can just go. Just go. Go and be used of the Lord. Oh, I wish you all were like me. And you go, was Paul ever married? That's a whole other subject. I don't want to really get into it. Paul was a member of the 70 Sanhedrin Council. And in order to be a part of the Sanhedrin Council, you actually had to be married. And so most believe that Paul was married. We don't really know what happened to his wife, whether she died or whether she left him when he became a Christian. We have no idea. It, the scripture is silent. We remain silent. To speculate would be nonsense. It would, it would gain us nothing. And so Paul was single for whatever reason. He's lost his wife, whether to abandonment or he's lost his wife to death. Paul was at one time married, but now he's not married. And he says, I wish you guys were like me, not married, so that you could do what I get to do. Because it's a blast. Married couples can't just do that. Paul goes on, he says, in, in, he says here about rendering. When you repeated your vows... My, my illustration goes on. He, listen, it, the day that you repeated your vows to your spouse, guys and gals, where the pastor or the officiant called you to repeat the words, I, fill in your name, do take, fill in her name or his name, if you're the woman, to be my lawfully wedded wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poor, sickness and health, I do promise to love and honor and cherish her, or him until death do us part. This is my solemn vow. Yeah, you remember that part where you vowed before God and man that you would commit the rest of your life to love, honor, and cherish. That means that you became indebted to. 
You became indebted to your spouse at that moment. You became indebted to her parents. You became indebted to society that you have made a vow. You had committed in that day, on that day, to love and honor and cherish and render to Ophelo, her, or if you're a wife, him, until you're dead. And by the way, there's... Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, a while ago, I, I had seen something in, um, in, in some reading that I was doing, in a writing that... Uh, some, some reading that I was doing, excuse me, um, about uh, somebody that I, I... Somebody, what they do in their premarital counseling that, that I, I would be wise to insert into premarital counseling that my wife and I do. I love doing premarital counseling with my wife. It's awesome. We do it, and it's a great, great time. We have people over at our house, and some of you have been there, and you know that we've we've married and and gone through premarital counseling, and it's just an awesome, fun time. But one of the things that I want to Im- implement in premarital counseling is this: I, I'm going to have each potential spouse write out on a piece of paper to hand to me the reasons stating why they want to marry that particular person and what it is that they are committing themselves to do and be for them for the rest of each of their lives. And I want to receive those and file them away. Because invariably, there will be one or two or somewhere down the road, we've had couples that we've, that we've given premarital counseling and I've married that have turned around and things have gone south. We had one couple that, that, I won't name them, but we had one couple, they are not a part of our church, so don't start looking around, that it was so vomitous almost for my wife and I. And you'll understand. We're sitting there and we're going, stop with this affection for goodness sakes. Because they'd sit there on the couch and they were like little partridges, you know, pigeons. He's going, ugh. We talk all the time. We talk until 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh, he's such a wonderful grand man. Oh, she is the most awesome woman in the world. We can't get enough of each other. We get off work and we'll talk for seven hours on the phone. We're this and, oh, okay, now, when you guys have an argument, oh, we don't have arguments. Well, I said, well, you will. Yeah, not us. Not us. We won't have arguments. <laughs> yes, you will. Here's what we want to talk about. How do you resolve conflict in your marriage? Oh, I don't think that we really need to talk about this because we're good. We've never had an argument. And you will have an argument. No, no, we won't. Six months after they were married, they came back to us and says, I don't know how we're doing this. I think we're about to, we're about to leave each other. Why? What's that matter? We can't talk. We've never even been able to communicate. We're going, What? What are you talking about? You've never been able to communicate. And my wife and I start giggling. We're talking to him. We're giggling. We're g- and I'm going, what's the matter? I said, do you remember how sickeningly you guys were saying how you communicated until 2 and 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning? We never said that. Did we? Yeah, you did. Oh, hey, they're happily married to this day. Happily married to this day. They saw their faults. They saw the areas where they were weak in and they they worked on them and they're happily married to this day and have a very strong relationship with a couple of kids. It's an awesome thing. 
But here's the thing. Do you remember the commitment that you made? When you, and, and, and that's what I want. I want people to write down so that I can go back to them and say, here's what you wrote to me. You remember writing this. Oh yeah, but things change. Really? Really? Things change? Yes, things change. No, things don't change. You changed. I got to say something about that here in just a second. But when, before you go to the altar, what are you committing? What are you committing to each other before you go to the altar? I want them to understand. I want you to understand. I want you to remember what you were committing to your spouse for with, and, and for when you came before the altar. And by the way, there's a twofold purpose of standing at an altar as you commit yourself to marriage to another. You commit yourself to an, 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 or you commit to yourself to any other endeavor in life because there's sometimes you come to the altar to commit yourself to do something. You commit something unto the Lord. You offer something unto the Lord and you commit it. But we're talking about marriage and so we're coming to the altar. We're, we're committing something at the altar. The altar represents serious ground. Ground that is holy before God. You've maybe heard it before, but the altar should alter your way of thinking. Should alter your way of life. Should alter you in some way or another. Because you're coming before God and you're committing something before God and before your spouse. It's like you've decided to get married and in order for the marriage or any vow that you take to be officially initiated, you have to actually make the effort to go to the house down the street. We call it the church. The one who lives in the church, God, the Father. And you have to make your way down the street. You have to go down to that God's house. You have to willfully, and get this picture in your head, you have to willfully and under your own volition open up the gate on his white picket fence. What other color would it be? And you walk the sidewalk up to the steps of his porch. You walk across the porch and you knock on his door and you wait until he answers the door. And by the way, this step is often skipped in marriage. A puppy-loved, brained couple think that their love will keep them together. We don't need God in this. We found, we found love. Ask Captain and Tennille if love will keep you together. They just got divorced. Just recently. Love didn't keep them together. Made them a lot of money, but didn't keep them together. One of the biggest mistakes of a potential couple in getting married is that they don't ask God what he thinks. But let's go back to this. You've, you've gone to his door. You knock on the door. The door opens and you stand there with your fiance with trembling knees and with shaky voice and you ask God the Father, is it okay if I marry your daughter? Is it okay if I marry, as the wife, as a potential wife would say, is it okay if I marry your son? And he might say to you, what confidence do I have that you'll take care of my precious child? How do I know that when you leave my front porch, my altar, that you're going to take care of the apple of my eye? Kevin used that term today, didn't he? The apple of God's eye. 
What confidence do I have that you're going to take care of this person this, in this manner? To love and to honor and to cherish them. And it's at that altar that you promise, I will make a promise to you, her heavenly father, as well as to her earthly father and the woman, to God the father and her fiancé's mother. Why a woman or a man has to ask the father, why a, a, a wife talks to the mother, it just works that way. Not that you don't talk to the other, you know, part of the couple. But a father giving his daughter away is precious. A mother giving her son away is precious. There's just this bond between that opposite, you know, gender in a family. Of the maternal and the paternal. You respond to God, I'll make a promise to you, Heavenly Father. And I'm going to make a promise vocally and publicly here this day to her father, her earthly father. And the woman, she'd say to you, Father, and to my fiancé's mother and her father, I will make a vow, I will make a covenant right here, right now in the front of you, that I will love and I will honor and I will cherish her or him to my dying breath. My love for him will not be dependent upon how much money we have or how much money we don't have. My vow to him and my vow to you is not going to be dependent on whether or not she or I are in sick or good health. My commitment is not going to be dependent upon whether times are good or whether times are bad. I pledge today before you, God, the father and my mother and father and her father and mother and anyone else within earshot of my words at this moment on this altar that I bind myself under this worthy oath, this vow, this commitment, this covenant and this promise that I will perform all that I vow today until the day I die. It's a vow. Six months later, I fell out of love. We're just not the right people. Shut up. Stop it. Just stop. I'm sorry for being gruff, but just stop. That's the way of the world. It's going to be tough. I promise you, marriage will be tough. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Love is an action. You have to choose to love. You have to choose to care. You've got to choose to forgive. You've got to choose to be affectionate. You have to choose to owe your spouse what it is that they so desire. And it's hard. I feel bad for my wife. I give her fit sometimes. But I try. My attempt is to make her feel secure. My attempt is to make her feel loved. My attempt is to feel, make her feel special. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 2 through 5. I've got to hurry and get done, but the Old Testament, Solomon, he, he writes, he says, Don't be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by as many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he, God has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. For it is better to not vow than to vow and not pay. No one forced you to take the road up to the altar to commit your life to, commit your life to that spouse. 
But the moment that you've committed your life to that spouse, spouse, you better make it work. You better make it work. My wife, a few weeks ago, she went to a, a basketball awards banquet that really impressed her. She just couldn't stop talking about how special it was. I'm thinking, my wife at an awards banquet. She's a caterer, you know. She's a catering manager at your Dutchman. And so she gets to go to all these little things. And so she was there and she got to hear the, the coach there. His name was Bill Ivey Jr. here locally. She said he was, he, she was, he was, so, she was so impressed that he was able to name not just all the basketball players, but name all of the little idiosyncrasies and the special things that each one of those players had done and then give them a charge, each and every one of them, for their lives. And he's a believer, by the way. And he encouraged them in the Lord. There was an acronym that he used in that, and I don't have time to talk much more about that, but there was an acronym that he used in that. One of the things that he spoke on that held his team together and he said that he had passed on this message to his players not just for basketball but for life was this acronym called FAMILY. FAMILY. FAMILY, F-A-M-I-L-Y means forget about me, I love you. Forget about me, I love you. Marriages break down because one or both get this backward and begin to live under the mantra, forget about you, I love me. That's how marriages break down. Marriages break down when it ceases to be about your spouse and it begins to be about you. And that might happen two weeks after you're married. You remember, guys, when you courted your wife? Do you remember... How way, way, way above and beyond you went to impress her and and you thought about every single possible outcome of every detail of your date. Well, if I say this, she might say this. She might think that I would be this. I don't want to say this. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to wash my car. I'm going to clean it up. This thing has never been so clean since the day it came off the lot. I'm going to take her to a nice restaurant, really nice restaurant. I'm going to impress her. I'm going to love her. I'm going to listen to her. I'm going to listen. I'm just not even going to say a word. I'm just going to listen to her words. Women have four times the amount of words that men. And I'm going to love every minute of this. And you committed, I'm going to do this, man. And at the end of that night, you're going, oh, what a wonderful night. What a wonderful woman. Man, she knows how to talk. She knows how to talk, and I love that she knows how to talk. Because I, I, I'm awkward. Do you remember back when you were a kid and you called your first heartthrob? I remember. I actually wrote down on a piece of paper things that I would talk about because I didn't know how to talk to this girl. I'm writing down all these things. Okay, this is subject matters. I call, hello? Yeah, is such and such there yeah let me get her for you hello hi um this is dawn uh this is dawn you know your voice is all shaking you're a little kid you know oh hi was there a reason you called um yeah uh hey uh how was school today what okay that one didn't work um, 
hey, I, I saw you with, with your friend, you know, Cindy today. Oh, yeah. Okay, that one didn't work. <laughs> and you're going down the list and pretty soon you get through five things and she's giving you like one or two answers and you go, okay, hey, uh, good talking to you. See you tomorrow at school. Okay, thanks for calling. And you hang up and you're going, I feel like such an idiot. Yeah. You remember you thought about those things. Well, truth be known, she's on the other end of the phone going, I don't even know what to say. If she likes you or she's going, what a dweeb, you know, get off the phone, which is probably what was happening to me. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You remember you thought it out. You really prepared. You really, really prepared the car, the restaurant, what you were going to do. I mean, I'm going to go out to the beach. We'll walk on the beach. Oh, what a wonderful night that'll be. And just talk and talk. Gals, you were the same. It took you four hours to get ready. Well, it still takes you four hours to get ready. But here's the thing. Okay, here, now I'm just joking. It doesn't. I'm just, I, it, it, listen, you took, you, you tried on every outfit. You stood in front of a mirror. Maybe you took, maybe you went shopping. Maybe you took your best friend, your best girlfriend shopping and go, what do you think? And you tried on like 70 different outfits in order to look perfect. You spent all this time to look impeccable with your mascara and makeup and all that stuff that you do to your face. You did and you smelled so good and you looked so good and and it took time. You guys got married. Eventually you got married. But something happened along the way. Along that first year, or, or maybe shortly afterwards, especially if your marriage is on the rock, you, rocks, you stop thinking about family. You stop thinking about, forget about me, I love you. You stop, forget, you stop thinking about that. You stop thinking about how do I minister? How do I love? How do I offer? How do I render affection? I owe it to my wife to render affection. She owes it to me. I'm not to ever tell her that you owe me affection. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Guys, don't ever bring up Ephesians 5.22 to your wife. Bible says right here in Ephesians 5.22, you're supposed to submit to me. That doesn't work. That really will not work. I promise. Some of you guys know. Here's the thing. Marriages break down because we forget the vow. We forget the commitment. I got to finish because we're late. But here's the thing. There's one thing that you, you see here in verse 4. It says, The wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You know, uh, there's a lot that I could say on this and there's a lot that I, ha- I could r- say on this but understand this when I read that first line there's a lot of you guys that hope that the second line wasn't there the wife does not have authority over her own body but the husband does see honey that's what it says and if it just stopped right there some of you guys would go man that would have been a perfect verse for me You do what it is that I want you to do because I have authority over your body. But the game changes 
when Paul says, yeah, but also the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. The idea is you do what your wife would have you to do and your wife does what she believes her husband would have her to do. That's called love. That's, that's called not living for self. That's called living for others. That's called living for your spouse. That's what you did when you courted. That's what you did when you fell in love. That's what you did. And your, your marriage, uh, leading up to marriage, that's what happened. That's what bound you together. Oh, I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with this person. And then you got married. The nice restaurant you take her to. Honey, get in the car. Oh, okay. You don't even clean out her seat. She, just sit on that stuff. It's okay. It's a short drive. You take her to Le McDonald's. Maybe you open the door for her still, but you shut the door before she's all the way in. Kind of slams on her foot. I don't know. You don't treat her like you used to. Hey guys, I'm getting convicted on this too. Gals, you should be getting convicted too on this. Here's the thing. Here's the reason why our marriages are the way that they are. If they're bad. If they're struggling. It's because you stopped loving them. You stopped loving them. You stopped concerning yourself with what they thought. You began to look in a mirror and everything began to look at self. You became selfish instead of selfless. Forget about me. I love you. You want to hold your family together? Live by the acronym. You want to keep your marriage together? Live by that acronym. I want my family to always be together. And so I'm going to forget about me and what my wants and my desires are. And I'm going to love you in my choices. I'm going to love you in my speech. I'm going to love you in the way that I talk to you. Because you know what? I would not want you to talk to me the way that I talk to you. I want to love you. I know that the way I talk to you, you don't like. And if you don't like the way I'm talking to you, then what in the world, I, what business do I have talking to you like that? You never did that when you were courting. And your marriage was, and your relationship wasn't on the rocks. But because you're doing it now, your marriage is on the rocks. Not saying that anybody's marriage is on the rocks in here, but if yours is, there's your problem. You stopped doing the right things. I'll finish with this. Revelation chapter 2. You know this verse. You know this passage. Not verse, but this little passage. Revelation chapter 2. Mind you, marriage is a picture of the church. Marriage is a picture of the church. God wants a marriage upon the face of the earth to be an example for what the world would look at as a bride to a groom. The church is the bride. We talked about that three or four weeks ago in my message, the first message that we had in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That the church, the mystery of the church is that the world would look upon a Christian marriage and go, oh my goodness, I understand how the marriage is supposed to work. I understand what how God is and how He looks at His bride. I see how it is that God wants to provide, that God wants to heal, God wants to minister, God wants to come along and, and show adoration towards His bride. But the bride must give and render the affection to her husband, which would be the groom. 
And as the world looks upon you and your Christian marriage, they should see a picture of the bride and the church. Or the church and, and Christ. They should see a picture of the Christ in church. Or the Christ, the Christ in the church, the church in Christ. The relationship between the two. And so Jesus is talking, these are Jesus' words, talking in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. He's talking about a relationship, the bride of the church, which is in Ephesus, in, it, in accordance to its relationship with him, the groom. And he says this, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven gold, golden lampstands. That's a picture and a description of Jesus Christ, by the way. That's a picture of Jesus Christ. So now we have the groom. We started with the bride. The bride is the church at Ephesus. That's the bride. The groom is none other than Jesus Christ. So now we have the couple here that's being spoken of. What's wrong with the marital relationship here? Here's what it is. The groom says, I know your works and your labor and your patience that you cannot bear those who are evil and that you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not and you've found them liars and you've persevered and you have patience and you labored for my name's sake, for your husband's sake. You've not become weary. What he's saying here, before you go on, he's saying, you're going through the motions, you're doing... You're, you're abiding. You're doing what it is that you're supposed to do. You're, you're, you're just doing what, what you have to do to get by. But something has left here. Something is missing. He says, nevertheless, verse 4, I have this against you that you have left your first love. You forgot when we were courting. You forgot what it was when we first came together. You forgot the love that was there. You've left that. You've left that first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. Say you're sorry. There might be marriages here that are listening to this in this room or listening to it on the internet that right now your marriage is in trouble. And right now, God is just pinpointing you with a big light bulb on top of you and He's saying, get it right today. Get home and go to your wife. Go to your husband and say, I am sorry. I have blown it. I've stopped treating you the way I treated you when we courted. I stopped treating you the way that I... I stopped loving you the way that I loved you when we first got together. I'm going to once again commit to you that I want a family. That I'm going to forget about my wants and desires and I'm going to love you through it. I'm going to love you. I'm going to consider you. Jesus says, remember from where you fell. Yep, our marriage went on the rocks when it stopped being about me. When it stopped being about us. When it stopped being about the relationship and it started becoming about you. And then repent. Repent. Okay, I remember where I fell. I've repented. And then Jesus goes on and he says, and now go back and do the first works. Go back and do the first works. That means go back to the day where you were in love with one another. Go back to that day and court again. 
Go back to that day and care about what she thinks. Care about how you look when you go out. Care about what you smell like. Care about what she thinks. What is she thinking right now? I mean, what is she thinking right now? What is he? What is he thinking right now? What can I say? You know, gals, some of you were, were like, I'm just not going to talk so much because I don't want them to think that I talk so much. I don't want him to think that, that I'm, I'm constantly telling him what to do. So I'm going to just back off. I'm going to let him be. I'm going to let him be the man in this relationship. And sometimes it caused you to bite your tongue when he said, hey, yeah, I think let's do this. You go, well, I don't really wouldn't want to do that. But you know what? I'm with him. And that's all that really matters. And by you acquiescing to his desire, man, he grew and he went, whoa, what a wonderful woman. I am the luckiest man alive doesn't mean that we don't share differences and that we don't discuss those differences, but let that be the exception and not the rule. Let's get back to marriage. Let's get back to love. Let's get back to considering your spouse more highly than yourself. And in so doing, bless their socks off by ministering to them. And watch, but that it will not be reciprocated back to you in time. Might not happen immediately. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. You start loving your spouse. You start going back to those days where you ministered to her or when you ministered to him. You thought about what they wanted. You thought about what they thought. You ministered to them and you loved them. Your marriage will heal. You watch. You wait. You see. That's the Lord. Father, thank you so much for today. And I know, Lord, we spent a lot of time on just a couple of verses. But once again, Lord, it's a, the marriage, marriages in the United States of America are breaking down. The marriages in the, the world are breaking down at an astronomical rate right now. And it's because messages like this are not taught anymore. Messages like this are considered, especially in our own culture and society, that this is old school that this is not something to be desired because we have grown beyond that. And yet, all of this advancement, all of this new thinking, it's driving us down a road of absolute destruction in our country, in our nation. Our nation is on the rocks right now because we have disregarded you and disregarded what it is that you want for us in this nation. Not just in this nation, but even in our own lives. We've bought into the lie. And because we've bought into the lie, even though we want to be a Christian, we will remain silent, many of us, because we don't want to upset the apple cart. We don't want to be considered to be the old fogies, the old Bible thumpers, when in all actuality, your word tells us how to create a successful marriage. And if that's the longest, the long desire of our heart, then Lord, let us, help us, show us, enable us, empower us to actually implement these things back into our life. And who cares what the world has to say? I love my wife, I love my husband, and it's worth it. For Lord, you went to the mat for us regardless of what Satan and the world said, that you shouldn't come to the earth. 
You shouldn't live righteously the way you do. You shouldn't love the people that you love. You shouldn't hang out with the people that you hang out with. There by no means should you hang on a cross for them. And yet, Lord, you disregarded what the world says. You disregarded what Satan said. And you did what the Father called you to do. And in so doing, you provided a way of escape for your bride, the church. God, may we carry on that same heart that says, I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my spouse. I don't care what everybody else says. I'm going to fight because they're worth to be be fought over. They're worth to go to the mat for. I'm willing to sacrifice in order to get back that love, to get back that affection, to get back. I owe my spouse. Help me, Lord, to accomplish that. This day, Not tomorrow, not next week, but starting right now. God, help me to be the man. God, help me to be the woman that you've called me to be. Because, Lord, I want to be a true picture of the bride and the church. Or of the bride and and you, Christ. The church and, and, and you. I want the world to look upon a good marriage and see you in it. You are the glue that will hold us together. You are the glue that will maintain a relationship until our dying breath. Thank you, God, for just one more encouragement to cause us to consider our own life, to cause us to consider our own marriages and to grow in them. And all the singles that are in here right now, they're hearing this. And I know, Lord... They might be going, what does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with them. What manner of person should they ought to be? To live for you. To recognize it's not about them. It's about the world around them. It's about the people around them. And this is a great proving ground for them to one day possibly get married. To prepare themselves to be this man. To be this woman that you've called them to be. And let that be the goal and the drive of their life, that they would be exactly what we've talked about, of what your word calls a husband or a wife to be. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Repair the marriages that are, are broken. Heal the wounds that may have taken years to create such wounds. Heal the marriages. Let them be true trophies of grace upon your mantle in heaven, Lord, where you have restored a marriage back to what everyone else around them thinks. It's not, this is destined for failure, but Lord, that you enter into this. It's destined for success because Lord, you desire to keep a husband and a wife together following after you. May we have repaired marriages in this room or within the hearing of this message. And may we live that way for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com 
or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.